Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta taj'ulul hazna idha shi'a sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay folks, so insha'Allah... Um, Today we are on page two of the notes as we have for a while. Uh, well, not actually for a while. Last week, I think, isn't it? Um, and uh, where do we think we are? What's the sentence uh, in the text and in the commentary? Anyone? May Allah raise her. Amen. Let us down again. Two or three. Two, two. No, I don't think so. I don't think we've got that far. No, I doubt it. No, the last thing we said was about the sunnah uh, You know, it will suffice for the ability to. Ghusl. So I did actually mention the ghusl. Anyone can confirm that? Okay, so I mentioned that, huh? Uh, right, I think I just mentioned it quickly. I didn't really kind of talk about it properly. And it is important because... Um, well, it, it is important because the position of the scholars uh, differs. Uh, uh, there's a difference of opinion on this issue. Aslan... And then specifically against the humbly position, we have a difference of opinion from Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen and also Sheikh Kehlan as well. He has for eternity and he held his opinion very strongly and we should explain what his opinion is on this matter. So this is referring then to the text which in the English on page 2 would be um, if one intends a sunnah ghusl, it will suffice for an obligatory one. And vice versa. If many reasons for one's ritual impurity are combined, which require wudu or ghusl, and one only purifies himself for just one of them, then all the states of ritual impurity will be removed. Alright? So that's probably what we're going to at least do today. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, uh, frankly, but uh, the first statement is clear. If one intends a sunnah ghusl, it will suffice for an obligatory one and vice versa. So the classic example which is given and this is on page 200, uh, as Sheikh uh, uh, gave, that if you take a sunnah ghusl, so the sunnah ghusl would be, for example, after you wash the dead body, then to do ghusl is a sunnah, according to the majority of the scholars, to make ghusl for ihram, when you're about to make umrah, so once you enter, once you, just before you enter ihram, to do the ghusl, this is a sunnah, non-obligatory, according to the majority of the scholars. Another one would be when you want to go to, when you want to enter into Arafah, so on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, when you leave your camp in the morning from Mina, then the last thing, the last thing that you do, Sunnah, is to do a ghusl, either there or on the way. Obviously, we don't have the ability to do it on the way, or we're not trained in doing it on the way. Um, but then you would do it before you enter actually the hudud of Arafah, before you stand in, uh, uh, on the plain of Arafah. This is a, uh, some say it's Sunnah, some say it's Mustahab. Anyway, the point is it's not obligatory. 
The famous one that we all know is the ghusl for Jumu'ah. Now the ghusl for Jumu'ah, um, which should be done on obviously on Friday after the Fajr time and as close as possible to the Jumu'ah khutbah itself. This is the Sunnah. Yeah, uh, actually, there are, we will come to it in its right time. But when we discuss the narrations, you'll see that um, the idea is almost to come dripping to the salah. Uh, you know, without kind of just to emphasize the point, it is that almost the last thing that you do. And the idea there would be that um, you might be working, you might be sweating, you might have done your day's work, and now this is basically you know off time. So you're going to make it your last thing, you're going to wash up, you're going to get changed new clothes, you're going to put your perfume on your oil on this, that, whatever, and walk straight in to the salah and early as well. So it all fits. So this ghusl, uh, it has been differed over. Some do consider it to be an obligation, but the, the position of the majority of the ulama is that it is a sunnah. So we know that for all of these four reasons, okay, the actual reason for the ghusl is not what we would call irtifa'ul hadith. You're not lifting a state of ritual impurity because you're not ritually impure, right? You're just like, you might, you might have wudu and you're entering into a new state. Does that make sense? Yes? So you might have just made wudu in your hotel room when you're in Medina al-Munawwara and you go to the Hulayfa, which is the miqat, the place where you go to uh, leave, uh, uh, we put on ihram, and you're fully in wudu and you make a ghusl at the miqat, right? Before you put your ihram on. So it's not to lift a state of hadith, right? It is actually uh, an act of ibadah that you're wishing to get reward for. It's not that you're, I'm impure. So that's very important to understand. That's what the discussion is about. If a person was doing a ghusl for that reason, and at the same time, he needs to do a ghusl for an obligatory reason. Now the obligatory reasons would be, for example, he has had ejaculation, wet dream, sexual relations. Uh, he is someone who has lost consciousness for a long period of time, meaning that he fainted like for a significant period of time. And some of the scholars consider that to be an obligation when one comes around after a long period of time, etc. Etc., etc., etc. Okay, or Hayyab, for example, the woman who is coming off menstruation. So these are obligatory reasons. So we have a scenario now, okay, where it's Friday, for example. Jumu'ah time, a man, he needs to make an obligatory uh, a ghusl and he needs to make a sunnah one. The Hanbalis basically are saying that as long as you do one ghusl, even if, so, even if it's for the sunnah, okay, a sunnah reason, then the, the obligatory one's covered. Now this is a controversial position. The Hanbalis, uh, the, 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 the Imam al-Hajawi has made it the position of the madhab. Actually, there are within the madhab, there are statements that some put conditions on it. You can imagine what one condition would be if you remember our discussion last week. What condition can you imagine? Correct, correct. That some of the ulama they said that uh, if he is, um, as, 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 as it says at the, at the top of page 201, that if he had actually forgotten that he needed to do the obligatory ghusl and he did the ghusl anyway for the sunnah reason, then he's basically covered. Okay, now that's a bit of a cop out because we'll just say for the sake of the argument, all right, that that if there is such a person, then he doesn't really need to worry about because actually he didn't even realize until afterwards. The scholars would say that there's a there's a guy, he's in a state of sexual impurity in in Janaba, he's Junub. Okay, he needs to do an obligatory ghusl before he prays. He forgets that he needs to make that ghusl. Yes, 
he then goes into the bath and he has clear intention in his mind, I'm making ghusl for Jummah. Like he does every Friday. He's not thinking, you know, he just thinks automatically, I'm going straight in, whatever. Well, because he actually forgot, pretty much all of the scholars will accept that. They'll say, okay, you know what, he's covered. But the real question is, what if a guy knows? What if a guy knows that he has to actually do this obligatory ghusl and then he goes in and he intentionally only makes intention for the Jum'ah ghusl. Doesn't make an intention for the lifting of the state of Al-Hadath Al-Akbar. Yeah? This is the major state of ritual impurity. Yes? Alright? He doesn't. The humbly say it's okay. It's covered. The humbly said that the, the, the lesser Al-Adna Okay, the lesser ghusl always covers even the higher one. And the higher one, al-a'la, will also cover the lower one. That's why he says wa'aksuan, vice versa. Now I want you to know that on the vice versa thing, there's pretty much no difference of opinion. Pretty much all the scholars are, pretty much, as far as we're concerned, the scholars are all happy with that. And that makes sense, yes? If I make the intention to go in on Friday, and I make my intention for the ghusl, for janaba the obligatory one, then if I was thinking about the Jum'ah khutbah, for the, the, Jum'a, the one for Jum'ah uh, as well, that's covered by the niyyah for the obligatory one. Because the higher, bigger, more powerful obligatory niyyah covers the lesser ones. But the controversy of course is the other way. Well, the positions you need to know are, are straightforward. The Hanbalis, the official position is that it does cover. Okay? Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, he has an interesting statement. He goes, Amma idha. And if this chap knows and he makes intention, and he makes intention for this sunnah ghusl only, then this statement that this is sufficient for him for the janaba, for fi nafsi shay. Yani, I'm not happy with it. That's what Shaykh Uthameen says. He doesn't want to throw it out of the water yani, completely, but he goes, I'm not happy with it. As for Sheikh uh, Kehlan, our, our Sheikh, he himself is uh, uh, much more yani, uh, clear on this. And this would probably fit with a number of other scholars as well. Um, which is that, no, you are not, it's not allowed, it's not uh, acceptable for you to uh, do just a sunnah ghusl and uh, expect it to cover the obligatory one as well. Okay, so is that clear everybody, yes? And that's the class position as well. And that's my position as well. And it's of course a safer position. It's obviously a riskier position to assume going in. I'm only going to make the intention for the sunnah one and hope that it, it covers the obligatory one. Okay. Now you guys might be thinking, you know what, this is a very kind of theoretical discussion. Do people actually go in and think like that? Well, I can tell you, yes, people do. And I can tell you that if scholars themselves are the ones who are having to stop and think for a second to, to, to just get hold of the niya, then the laity, the masses, even more so. They need to be in control of what they're thinking. Again, remember, again, just think of the danger. It's common sense. Every Muslim virtually has a bath before Friday prayer. Every Muslim, whether they do it early or later. And when you're doing that every single Friday, that becomes automatic. And so if you are in a state of janaba, you are in serious trouble if that ghusl is not covering your obligatory one. Do you understand? That's why it's essential for Muslims always, before they do any act of worship, especially ones that share common human, common generic reasons for the action to be done, it's essential for you to have a niya ready. What do I mean by common generic reasons? Cleanliness. We want to shower anyway. Do you understand? 
We want to wash our faces anyway when we wake up in the morning. It's a common sense thing to do. Even if we weren't Muslims, we'd want to wash ourselves. Even if we weren't Muslims, we'd want to have shower regularly. So when you do have an act in Islam, an act of ibadah, which is very similar to another common standard act, it is essential that when you walk in and you're very focused on your intention, that this is the reason I am now going to do this particular act. Okay? So that's the... Um, so that's the, uh, uh, the, 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 the point there. Anyway, um, and so then moving on to vice versa, Sheikh Al-Uthameen, he goes, um, and I'm, he's happy with that. And he goes, and the evidence for that is that that every action is by its intention and, and the one who intends the higher will always cover that which is underneath it. He does also mention at the bottom of page 201, he goes that the humblies themselves, despite offering this as the official position, they definitely emphasize that it is better, it is better that you actually do two ghusls, okay? Uh, you do one for the Jum'ah and you do one for the, for the uh, obligatory reason that you might have, okay? Does that make sense? So you'd actually do two washes. Is that clear? The first one, you'd say, this is for the Janaba. You say to yourself, this is for the Janaba. And the second one, you would then do one for the Jum'ah Khutbah. Obviously, this is what the Hanbalis are saying. We are saying that, and the top position of this class is that your intention for lifting the state, is not even the Janaba, yes? Lifting the state of major ritual impurity, Al-Hadath Al-Akbar, does everything. It's Friday, you're there to go to the prayer, you're doing it at this time, okay? Uh, let's just talk about the intention. We're gonna we're gonna come to it in a second, okay? But let's just talk about the intention. You might say, what is the what is the proof that I'm already thinking about the intention for Juma? Okay, the proof is is that that's not necessarily the time to pray. If you were in a state of Janaba, you still probably have another two hours to pray theoretically. Do you understand? But you do your 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 ghusl from Janaba at that moment, right? You do it for the reason because you want to go to the Friday prayer. Do you understand? So actually you just taking your bath at that time is an indication that your intention is that it's for the Jum'ah. And that's all it needs to be. There isn't some kind of process where you have to say to yourself, I don't know, I'm not going to shower you know, Kaaba, not Musharif, yani towards the Kaaba. <laughs> yeah, and you reverse one of the salah. I don't know. There must be. I reckon some packs must have some verbal one out there. I don't know. But the point is, you don't have yani a actual. Uh, uh, <laughs> my apologies to all the Urdu speakers. I destroyed their their language. Arms and legs broken. So, uh, so what Sheikh Uthameen basically says is that there will therefore be okay. If we have two ghusls that need to be done, or two intentions we want to get covered, the one for the sunnah and the one for the obligation, so like impurity, hadith al-akbar, major ritual, major ritual impurity, and the one for jum'ah, there'll, there'll be four scenarios. Four scenarios. The first scenario is that a person will go into the shower or to the bath, and he will only make a niyyah for the sunnah one. Number one. The second scenario will be that he will only make niya for the wajib. The uh, third scenario is that he will go in and he will make a niya for both of them in one bath. 
which is what we're saying is the is an acceptable scenario. And then the fourth scenario is that he will actually have two baths. The first one will be yani, like the obligatory. The second one will then be the Jumu'ah one. Okay? Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar not happy with this fourth option at all. Why, Sheikh? Why have a two baths? Why not? Because <laughs> 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 that is so poor. <laughs> that is so poor. Sheikh Sheikh first of all, Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar, he said, for the benefit of the people online, he said that um, this deen is easy. He doesn't like the idea of two baths happening at the same time. <laughs> and then he launched an attack on the youth of our ummah by saying by saying that the elderly maybe they do two baths but the young but but the young guns yani he's not so sure sheikh in the shower sheikh in the shower it's stand and then step back and then stand again sheikh i didn't say sheikh it's nice and easy no i'm saying the way we grow up we are using <laughs> it's even easier, Sheikh. If you're only using a river to, and in Somalia you're using a river to do things, once in, out, once in again, khalas. Piece of cake, Sheikh. And Suleiman said that if purity is half of faith, then you can complete faith by having two purifications, which is just so poor. Which is just so poor. But anyway. You know that I've got a joke on that one. It's not mine though. That means it's poor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's brilliant because it's not mine. It's very bad. They said, if purity, purification is half of faith, okay? Half of Iman, alright? Which is not, by the way. We'll come to that discussion another day. This hadith is completely wrong and misunderstood. But if purification is half of faith and getting married is half of faith then does that mean that if we jet wash our women that we have completed iman (laughs) that is so funny man i'm sorry that's not mine that's not mine that's not mine that's not mine okay i think that's nadim khans or something like that i'm sure someone take credit for that I got in so much trouble for that last year for, for posting that joke. Anyway, um, so um, so is that clear? Yeah, we've got those four scenarios, yeah? Everyone happy with that before we move on? Mm-hmm. Person forgets what one, what part? So he forgets to do an intention for the fard one, but he does the sunnah one. Well, this was the assumption that the sunnah one doesn't cover the Oh, this is okay. So we're, we're following the opinion, not the humble opinion. We're following the opinion that the Sunnah one does not cover the obligatory one, and he goes in and he forgets the intention for the obligatory one. And then he prays Jumma, and he remembers afterwards. So let me read to what Sheikh Uthameen said. I already mentioned this in Ikhtisar, but let me tell you what he said. He goes. So for example, he goes. Uh, he goes. For example, there's a person. He makes a ghusl for Jumma. And he considers it that it is a sunnah, the, 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 the ghusl for Jumu'ah. And he does that for, 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 for Jumu'ah, but he is in a state of janabah. But he forgot about the janabah. 
Then he he uh, and then he prays and he only remembers the janabah after the prayer. Okay. Um, he goes. Then the prayer, the Jumu'ah prayer, is going to be correct because the janabah has been lifted by the ghusl that he did for the sunnah, even though his intention was not lifting a state of janabah or lifting a state of impurity. Because when he goes in, as I said, for the Jum'ah, then he's not thinking like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. When he's when, when he's doing the iniyah. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is uh, this is like this is why he said that's why that's why he said like in in Canada, sin for Hamadur, and he has an excuse. If he forgot about the Janaba, then he has an excuse. So even those that don't accept this opinion, they would they will allow a person who forgets about the Janaba to get away with it because of the fact that he forgot. All right, okay. So the next statement then is. Um, if many reasons for one's ritual impurity are combined, which require wudu or ghusl, and one only purifies himself for just one of them, then all of the states of ritual impurity will be removed. Okay? When Okay? So, so for example, let's say that a person urinates, then he defecates, then he goes to sleep, then he eats some camel meat, according to the humbly madhab, Okay, but then he he does istinja. Okay, that's that's a separate. Then he makes wudu, but he makes wudu only anil bone, yani only because of the urination. That's the only thing which is in his mind that I, I urinated, so I need to make I need to make wudu. So Sheikh Uthaymin says that this wudu for the for the after urination covers all of the other invalidators of wudu as well. He doesn't have to like make another wudu for the toilet, another wudu for the this. That's the basic. Point okay, um, he goes. He goes, uh, uh, and then Sheikh Tamim makes an, uh, an interesting statement. He goes, "Walakin law nawa anil baul faqat ala alayar tafa ghayruhu fa innu la yudzi illa anil baul." If a person was to make the the he does he does all of that all those four five things, then he makes wudu. But he says when he's making wudu, his intention is. That I'm making wudu to, to, to purify myself from, ur- from urinating and nothing else. And nothing else. Okay? So, it's, I'm not, not thinking about this. I only want myself to be purified in a state of ritual purity. I want to become into a ritual state of purity from the state of urination. Sheikh Uthaymeen, he says, he says that then this is only the thing which is going to be done for him. Why? Because Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said that all, inten- all actions are by intentions and indeed a man should only get that which he has intended. And so if a person only intends purity from the r- urination, then that's the only thing that he's going to get. Now, we will say, we will say, even if that happens, he's still okay. Because even if he ex- says, I want purification from urination only, then that will still put him into a state of purity. And the state of purity is all that's needed for him to, to continue on with the, uh, with the uh, rest of the actions. Okay? And, he, and, and that's what he then says next. He goes, وَقِيلَ And it has been said, وَجُدْزِعَنْهُ وَعَنْ غَيْرِهِ لِأَنَّ الْحَدَثُ وَصْفٌ وَاحِدٌ Okay? He goes that, he goes, and to be honest, if you think about this, actually, uh, 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 
Impurity is an attribute. It's a state. Okay, ritual impurity is a state. You can't have ten states of ritual impurity. You are either pure or impure. And so once it's lifted, it's lifted. Khalas. Do you understand that point? Does that make sense? Yes? Yeah? So once you're into that state, you're into that state. Once we lift that state, that state has been lifted. It doesn't matter if you've done 10 impurities or not. You only make intention for one of them or not. Once that state has been lifted, there's not five other theoretical ones which are waiting to be lifted. Does that make sense? Yeah? So that's what Sheikh, uh, that's what Sheikh Ruthamin then says. Um, Sorry, Sheikh. Yep. So... You could be ritually impure for five reasons. Yes. But if you've lifted one of them, yep. they're all gone. They're all gone. That's what Sheikh says. After discussing the back and forth, the back and forth, the back and forth, okay, because there is a little bit of craziness going down, basically Sheikh says, what's sahih? And the correct position is that if, that if he just makes intention just to lift the state of ritual impurity from one of those reasons why he became impure, the entire state of ritual impurity has been lifted even if he makes the intention that I don't want it to be lifted off anything else even if he says that kind of statement <laughs> it's still going to be lifted because as we said that the hadith is a wasfun wahid it's a singular state okay even if the reasons that caused it are many even if the reasons that caused that state are ten reasons but the state itself is only one okay but, uh, 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 yes, and um, yeah, yeah. Could yeah. you use, use that same point with the Sunnah and obligatory Ghusl? You're ritually impure, the Sunnah Ghusl lifts up, therefore, whether you have the intention or not, does it not just lift the ritual impurity? Right, so I'm going to repeat that question because it's a good one. If you're saying that's the argument, okay, that doing one lifts it off the rest of them uh, as well, okay, why would it not work then for the Sunnah? Uh, uh, ghusl discussion okay the reason that it, uh, uh, well first of all the humblies it does work for them and that's why the humblies have said their position yeah the humblies agree with what you just said the rest of the scholars said no there's a difference there's a definite difference the difference is is that when you do the sunnah ghusl you're not actually intending a state of purity you're not lifting a state of ritual impurity okay now because you're not necessarily Correct. It's a sunnah ghusl. You're not necessarily in a state of ritual impurity, hadith, asghar, or akbar. And so you're not expecting to lift that state because you're not obligated to do it in the first place. And so therefore, what you have is one type of ghusl and a whole different genus, which is janaba, which requires a clear intention to lift the state of ritual impurity. That's the argument. That's the argument. And certainly, it is the, uh, it is the safest one. Um... And same, same thing, he goes, he goes uh, 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 with the washing as well. If there is many reasons why he needs to make ghusl, for example, intercourse or ejaculation or menstruation or... What's uh, the uh, uh, Postpartum bleeding uh, for the woman, for example... He goes, if all of these reasons are combined at one moment and they need to have ghusl for each one of them, ob- obligatory, one will do the job for all of them. Okay? All of them. Basically, he's saying that whatever is, is applied to al-hadath al-asghar, meaning minor ritual impurity, which you make wudu for, is also applied for al-hadath al-akbar, 
which is what you do. Is that clear, everybody? Everyone happy with that? Yeah? Okay? So, um, again, it's just a reminder uh, uh, to everyone here that intention is absolutely fundamental when it comes to making wudu, when it comes to doing ghusl, and um, even though we don't want to go to an extreme by trying to make this intention something which is very uh, so, so real that it needs to be articulated, at the same time, it is something which needs to be there. That, and I, you know, it's one of the most common questions that, that, that people like myself get asked. What is the actual, you know, intention? If, it's, if, if, if to say the intention is a bit out, if to believe that you must make a statement to establish the intention, if you're saying that's a bid'ah and has no basis, what do you want them people to do, say? What about those Muslims who don't have the confidence to be able to believe that they're actually in the right state? And that's a problem, of course. Many Muslims are like that. They actually need a statement to latch onto to say. It's like unlocking the door, isn't it? Yeah, to get in. They have to physically want to actually, you know, have a key, put it into the door. And by saying that statement, I am standing here doing this, saying that it makes them feel that they're more into the action. And the answer to that is that when you actually step back and think about this deeply, the more natural your approach to that act is your actual intention. Intention is a very simple matter. It's very important, but it's very, very simple. So me coming to the masjid at this time, okay, I'm coming for Isha. I don't need to think about Isha. I don't need to, you know, go and rack my brains and when I'm walking through the door, say to myself, Isha, 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 you know? I don't need to make my intention that has to be, you know, Kabak Musharif or whatever it is, you know? Kaaba Sharif Kamu, Mu, Kaaba Sharif, whatever direction you put the Urdu words in. I'm obviously praying towards Kaaba. I don't need to keep saying to my, you see, Imam, Kapichir, whatever. You know, I don't need to keep telling myself because I can see the Imam. I'm obviously standing behind the Imam. So people need to just really chill on those kind of cultural aspects. When you come to the masjid, you're obviously going to face Kaaba, you're obviously going to be in Jama'ah, you're obviously praying behind Imam, and you're not here to pray Fajr. Unless you've had a complete blonde moment, right? And you've just like lost the plot 100%. Then that's something else. That's something else, okay? So just keep it very, very simple, okay? Now, um, now we move on to the next point, which is the, the actual position or the place of the intention. And so in the English then on page 2, the last paragraph... Um, or we should we should actually read the Arabic. وَيَجِبُ وَلَتِيَانُ بِهَا عِنْدَ عَوْلِ وَاجِبَاتِ التَّحَارَةِ وَهُوَ التَّسْمِيَةِ وَتُسَنُّ عِنْدَ أَوْلِ مَسْلُونَاتِهَا إِنْ وُجِدْ إِنْ وُجِدَ قَبْلَ وَاجِبٍ وَاسْتِسْحَابُ ذِكْرِهَا فِي جَمِيعِهَا وَيَجِبُ استسحاب حُكْمِهَا It is obligatory, in brackets to make the intention, close brackets, Along with the first obligation of purification, of the tahara, of the wudu, okay? Which is the stating of bismillah. And it is recommended to do so along with the first of its recommended acts, if indeed there are any to be found before the obligatory acts. Okay? It is also recommended, in brackets, to remember the intention throughout the entire process of the wudu, brackets, okay? And it is obligatory to positively maintain that intention in brackets throughout that wudu. So, close brackets. So that's the Hanbali position on the text. They have a very, like all the madahib, they have a very hands-on approach to the niyyah. 
Not only does it need to be made at the beginning, it needs to be thought of all the way through. It needs to be kept yani, and mentioned and so on and so on. Reminding yourself, and we're going to come to discuss that yani, now, whether that's right or not. And the last statement is very important. That whatever happens, at the very least, you mustn't drop that niyyah. If you're not going to keep it alive in your heart as an active thing, what they're saying, at the very least, you mustn't like almost allow something else to come in and take your mind away. Which I'll give you an example of, of, uh, of soon. So, the first statement, it is obligatory, okay, to make that intention along with the first obligation of purification. And what is that? It is a tasmiyah. Tasmiyah meaning bismillah, alright? To say bismillah only. Now, of course, this is upon the position that the bismillah is obligatory, which is in the humbly madhab, it is. Okay? In the other madhab, it's not. But in the humbly position, it is. Okay? To say bismillah in wudu is from one, one, one of the obligations of wudu. So, okay. So, what is the niyyah? Sheikh Uthameen says, Azmul qalb ala fi'la ta'a taqarruban ilallahi ta'ala. If I'm going to translate this on the fly, then the intention is the deter. The determination of the heart to do an act of worship for the sake of Allah the Most High. It could be translated to get closer to Allah the Most High, but I prefer for the sake of Allah the Most High. The, de- the determination of the heart to do to do an act of worship or to do the act of worship for the sake of Allah the most high this is the this is the uh, definition that's been given by sheikh al-uthaymin alayhi rahmatullah and so you can see that the emphasis just to, to, to focus is really the issue of the heart it's got nothing to do with the tongue right and to say something on the tongue is a mistake and shouldn't be uh, uh, entered into it and of course, it's to do an act of worship. And that worship is a... What is worship? Worship is any act which is done to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, expecting reward from Him. That's what an act of worship is. And that's why the niyyah is very, very important to determine that between any other act that you do for any other reason. And there are many reasons that you can do a number of acts, okay? But this is clearly to get rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay? Now, the shaykh now uh, uh, says... Our author wants to discuss the exact placing of the niyyah. When should it happen? Okay? And he has told us that it is وَيَجِبُ الْإِتْيَانُ بِهَا عِنْدَ أَوْلِ وَاجِبَاتِ التَّحَارَةِ Okay? عِنْدَ Now عِنْدَ, okay, in the Arabic language has a number of different meanings but most of the time it means with. Okay? When we say the Arabic word عِنْدَ then it means uh, uh, closeness. That's what Sheikh says. هذه الكلمة تدل على القرب it is uh, the word enda is a word which which signifies closeness, something which is very close, such as when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In the Ladina enda Rabbika la yastakbirun an ibadatihi wa yusabihuna huwalahu yastudun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al A'raf that indeed those who are close to your Lord, they are not too proud. To worship him, they praise him constantly, and they prostrate to him. This is an ayah of sajda, okay? And it's nice if we uh, do a uh, sajda 
I think we should do such that. It's also good adab as well. We should do such that. on um, an ayah of sajda you should know is that it's not actually an obligation according to the correct position and the majority of the ulama it doesn't require wudu as well according to my opinion and the number of the scholars as well um, and with respect and, there, and we'll be covering the, the, the sajda talawa in, in detail later on but it's not an obligation and also in a manner that it was said um, also, in teaching, the ulama gave an exception to that. In teaching, it's a study. When you're studying a verse, for example, repeating it again and again and again and again and looking at the words, you're not obligated to do it at that time. And if a person wants to, it's good. And a single one would suffice for 20 readings of the ayah. Okay? Uh, it's important to understand that. It wasn't obligatory what we did. And even if we did consider it to be obligatory, we can delay it as well. But it's good sunnah. And I'm, I, my, my teachers always brought me up upon the manhaj or the methodology of always or never missing an opportunity to do a sajda tilawa. Uh, just because it's a, a good humbling of one's ego, it's always good to make sure that one doesn't feel in any way uh, proud or too proud to make sajda. But let's, let's not... So, 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 this is, so this is my point. Meaning that because it's a closed circle and we all know each other and whatever, and it's a teaching one, everyone's students, then, you know, I, I'd say, let's do it, folks, and everyone would do it. But we wouldn't expect the imam, okay, to drop that on the, on the masses, yani, you know, that's a bit of a killer, really. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's, and he's in a khutbah, he drops it on them, and then he kind of gets down and he does the, 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 the sajda. And everyone's like, lost, you should we, should we not, whatever. And by the way, it has been done in the seerah, okay? It has been done in the sunnah, has been done by the Khulafa al-Rashidin as well, okay? Authentically narrated. But obviously, you're talking about an audience that does know the Qur'an, does know what, what's going on. And I'm not saying it's not allowed. Of course, it's allowed, okay? Uh, uh, mashallah, this is uh, one of the, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to praise him uh, for, well, he's sitting here, but Shaykh Abdul Ghaffar, you know, khair, has trained this masjid in a very unique way. We do something here which is a blessed thing, which is recite the Quran throughout the prayer. And you know that the mass majority, in fact, 99.99% of the mosques of the world, forget about the UK, they only recite yani, surahs or parts of the Quran. They don't have any such tilawah, except maybe on a Friday they say it's a sunnah to do it in the, fr- the Friday morning prayer when they recite surah sajda, okay? But other than that, they don't. So uh, it also depends upon your audience as well. And so we, we in this masjid, we're used to regularly doing the Sajid Tlawa in our Salah and so on. And so this is an audience that wouldn't probably see it as a big shock if we did it in the Khutbah. But it's down to the Imam and knowing how the people will react and, and so on and so forth. Amongst us or whatever, I'm certainly when we are in our circles with our Sheikh, then he will always do the Sajid Tlawa and we would as well, even when studying it, whatever. And that's just the Adab. And as I said, it's not an obligatory one according to the correct position, but we should never miss out. So, excuse me, Shah, we did the first uh, Sajid Tilawah. Mm. The end is the last one, is Surah Al-Alaq. Surah Al-Alaq. Yes. 
yes, Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar, that this this ayah this ayah which we just recited is actually the first sajda to tilawa in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf verse 206 the very last ayah of Surah Al-A'raf and the last one is of course the one that everyone knows in Surah Al-Alaq um, in the 30th uh, Sibara Juz okay so uh, what Sheikh basically is uh, what Sheikh Uthameen was using this ayah for was to show that Allah says in ladina عِنْدَ rabbika. Okay, those who are in the Rabbik, those who are close to your Lord, and those who are with your Lord. He's talking about the angels, of course. All right, the angels are those that do not have any pride when they're worshiping of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They constantly praise Him, they constantly make sajda to Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that India, therefore, is established in the Quran as meaning with. Okay, meaning with. So, therefore, when we in the text see that Sheikh Imam al Hijawi says, that it should be done with the first obligation, the niyyah should be done with the obligation, then it means close to, next to the obligation. It doesn't necessarily mean absolutely touching. And that's important because we need to know what happens in different scenarios. So this is what he's going to uh, uh, explain. So he goes, uh, what we then uh, can determine is that the niyyah must be connected to the action. Okay. Or it can be before the action, but only with a sm- only only uh, a small period of of uh, 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 time. It can precede the actual uh, Bismillah. Yeah, are we still uh, alive, or is everyone falling asleep, or is everyone looking at the Arsenal score? What's Arsenal score? Don't blag it, Yara. Yara, I know he's watching over there. What's the score? <laughs> Islam don't like to say, come on man, give us a score, put us out of misery. We don't give monkeys about Nottingham Forest, Muskeen, we wouldn't know about Arsenal. Someone no, no, give. Don't, 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 Okay, sure enough then. Right, like, no, 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 don't say that. Yara. He's a good brother, Yara. I like his style, Yara. He's straight down the thingy, come to the dance, watch the game afterwards. I'm on that man hedge, bro. So, um, the um, the uh, uh, what we're talking about is the niyyah, okay? Let's not forget, because I know we've gone here and there. We're talking about a niyyah which is in the heart, yes? In the mind, in the heart. It's not something which is mentioned. When are we making it? We're making it with the first obligation. What is that first obligation? The bismillah. To say bismillah, okay? <coughs> when then does that mean exactly? What does with actually mean? It means right with that thing. So it would be... Bismillah, and you're thinking wudu, okay? You're thinking for the, you know, I've just went to the toilet, or I want to get ready for dhuhr, bismillah. Or, Shaykh Uthameen says, even if you make the niyyah before it, before you say bismillah, that's no problem. But it's got to be zaman al-yaseer, a small amount of time. Now, the word yaseer, okay, in the Arabic language means little, but in sharia, it has a different meaning. In the sharia, it means insignificant according to the culture. That's what yaseer means. Okay, because yasir in Arabic, as I said, linguistically it means something which is easy. Yani yusr means easy. yusra. Okay, indeed with hardship there is ease. So yusr means ease. Yasir comes from the same thing as easy, meaning it's nothing. You know, like it's nothing. So in Arabic, in Sharia, sorry, of course we know that already that Arabic words which are linguistically described are not necessarily what it means in the Sharia. In the Sharia, it means that which is insignificant 
according to the culture because sometimes the culture might be such a chilled culture. For example, if we're talking about Zaman Yasir in Jamaica, uh, everyone's you know, you know chilling out, you know, I don't know, taking half an hour to make wudu and walking around, bowling about, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's a pure stereotype. I've got no idea if that's true or not, but imagine, just imagine that they take like half an hour to make wudu. Yeah? Do they? I don't know. Hopefully we've got some Jamaican students here in Kingston. Then you're just watching yani, the, the palm trees do a little bit of this, that, and they're just ch- chilling out. No? No, it's not happening. Okay. Shazad's not happy with that. The point is, is that it has to be with the culture. Because our quick period of time might not be the same quick period of time somewhere else. It's easier explained. It's actually difficult to explain it, uh, uh, Yasir. Uh, in this, in the in the context of culture, Jamaican one doesn't may make sense. Let me give you the other uh, example, which is the opposite of yasir. The, who knows what the opposite of yasir is in fiqh? What's the opposite of insignificant? Significant, significant. Yes. But what's the Arabic word which is used most commonly? I mean, there's two actually. The technical word is kafir. Which means much. Ah, kathir. Ah, okay. Kathra. Ah, right. A kathra, but it's kathir. But also the word is fahish. Okay. Fahish means a huge amount. Okay. Fahish means huge amount. But actually, it doesn't mean huge amount in even in the Arabic language. Fahisha, fahisha is something which is shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Fahsha, for example, shocking. When we say shay'un fahish, if we say that something, uh, uh, blood, blood loss, for example, when we, come to the, when we come to the section on the invalidation of wudu, we will, we, will, we will be choosing the opinion that the only type of blood loss which invalidates the wudu is a fahish amount of blood loss. A shocking amount of blood loss. Okay? Now that's linguistically. But in sharia, fahish will be significant according to the culture of the people. Not significant according to a doctor. Because a doctor, yeah, you'll be looking at this guy dying and he'll say, oh, it's all right, man, you know, stick a plaster on it and you'll be fine. You know, or something like that, I don't know. And at the same time, you might have some queasy kind of, you know, woman, you know, who's just, you know, has one look at that and dang, she knocks over and, you know, faints. You know what I'm saying? She might look at a tiny little bit of blood and say, right, that's enough for me, that wudu, your wudu's gone, your ghusl's gone, everything's gone. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? That's the, that's the point of when we say that the urf has to define that, that, that concept. It needs to be a balanced, normal Joe Bloggs off the street, neither too squeamish, neither too medical. He just, you know, basic kind of guy. He looks at the blood flow, and he says, you know what? You're bleeding quite bad there, actually. And so when he says that, that's an indication for us, you know what, maybe you should go and make wudu. This is, a, this is a position of the scholars, a position, okay? And so likewise, the exact opposite, yasir is the same. It can't be someone who has a very vested interest in the field, or someone who's very discriminatory, or whatever, whatnot, okay? I tried to give the example of a guy making wudu in Jamaica, it blatantly didn't work. But if you can think of a better example, please do. Ah, okay, the, the, the better example would be, uh, someone uh, in a rest in a residential home, 95 years old, you know, they're making their wudu and they're taking literally half an hour to move very, very slowly and everything is done super slow. He's not the standard for periods of time. Does that make sense? And so 
Sheikh Muhammad Wakhtar Shankiti, he gives his he gives his example. He says Zaman Yasir is like a minute or two. He goes, he goes, let's say for example, you make the intention, right, I'm here to make wudu. And then you put the water on and the water it doesn't work. Alright? And then you have to go down and you realize the tap's turned off. And then you put the taps back on. It takes one or two minutes for the water to come out. It spits, all that kind of stuff. It comes out dirty. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. It's freezing cold. You're waiting another minute for it to balance hot. This is what we would consider a small amount of time. Do you understand? Whereas, if you turn the water on, okay, and uh, you know, you said you've made your intention. You haven't said Bismillah because your Bismillah is going to be Bismillah. I put my hands in. But the intention is to make wudu. Phone call comes. You get out there, whatever, now to answer the phone call, okay? Phone call goes on for five minutes, ten minutes, all right? You come back in, say Bismillah, and stop. According to the scholars, I say that's way too long. You have to make your intention again. And that is going out of the realms of Inda with. And whereas if it's a small period of time, it's still within the confines of Inda. But surely if he came back to the wudu, he's got the intention. He has to. He has to have the intention that he's making wudu. What if, for example, the phone call was, you're, you know what? You're sacked. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Sacked. Electricity goes. AC gone. Sweating, pouring. Oh, I need to go back into that. I need to wash my face, man. Goes into the, the bathroom. And he thinks I was here a minute ago. But I tell you what, man. I need to really wash up. It can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, it might not happen. But the point is, it's a possibility, isn't it? It's a possibility that the guy, he might go, you're right, in theory, he goes back in. If he's thinking, well, he's fine. That is his intention. Absolutely correct. But I'm saying to you, I'm, I can only give you experience as one, a teacher, and two, as someone who has lived through enough of those to know what can happen. That you are on automatic control. You're not sometimes thinking... Sometimes, for example, what if that phone call was come outside, just theoretically speaking, come outside and uh, uh, move your thing immediately, I need to leave. And you need to go there and pick up some jacks, whatever, your hands become dirty, you go back in again. And your instant thing, even though you're going back to the bathroom thinking, making wudu, your instant kind of instigator is you're looking at your hands and they're very dirty. Or you're very, very hot. You make the intention that sack thing, I'm going to go and have a shower, for example. I'm just saying that... The point still remains. You need to have the intention. As long as you got the intention to make wudu, then you're right. It's absolutely no problem at all. If you're coming back from your phone call and you got the intention, right, let's go back to wudu, you're right, it's done. But at least have that intention. Some people might go in and say, I want to do something else. So, um, and then, and so yes, and so Sheikh Uthameen says, so basically according to the madhab, then basically they're talking about the awal wajib, the first wajib, which is the tasmiyah. Um, and Sheikh Uthameen reminds us, what does he remind us of the position of saying Bismillah? Sunnah, okay? And we said that's our position. We said that Sheikh Uthameen's position, that is the class position, and he reminds us that, you know, that's what we covered on 158, that actually, even though the Hanbalis, they consider it to be an obligation, the three Imams and Sheikh Uthameen and the majority of scholars actually consider the statement of Bismillah to be a Sunnah and Sunnah only. And of course, Bismillah is a statement that is said actually physically on the uh, tongue. 
فإذا أراد أن يتوضأ فلا بد أن ينوي قبل أن يسميه لأن تسميته واجب لأن تسميته واجبة. So basically, in in summary, Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen says, so regardless of how you see it, whether you see it as sunnah or obligatory, if you're going to make your niyyah, it should be before you actually say the word Bismillah. That's it. Before you say the word Bismillah. Second before, or 10 seconds before, or 20 seconds before, then that's going to be uh, uh, okay. Uh, what are we doing for time? How long are we going? Uh, yeah, I think we're good to stop. We're good to stop. <laughs> Shazad needs not a second yani, invitation to stop at any time. Sheikh Dofad Miskin's already asleep, okay? And he needs to get back here first thing in the morning. So he's the only one that I think about when I look at across and see his eyes going. Thank you, Always thinking about Always, always thinking about our lemma. Sah, sah. Now, let's get some on the deep spot. Yeah. According to Sheikh al and according to the majority of the scholars and class position. So therefore, if you went there and purposely forgot saying Bismillah, yes, you will still be valid. Correct. So would according the, to the majority. Yeah, so would the niyyah then still need to be with the Bismillah? Does it have to be with the Bismillah? So I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll just say to you that Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar Shankiti, because we've decided to stop. Okay. The next statement is if it's not going to be the obligatory, then any other of the recommended acts. And the reason he mentions that is because he himself, Imam Hajawi, knows that there's a difference of opinion on this issue anyway, whether the Bismillah is wajib or not. So he's giving us that scope of the recommended acts too. Okay? And what they're basically saying is that there's going to be three stages. You're either going to say that Bismillah is obligatory or, or, or Sunnah, and therefore your niyyah is going to be done before it. You're either going to say that the uh, uh, the first Sunnah Okay, is al-istinshaq and madmada, which is the rinsing of the mouth and the nose, and therefore your knee is going to be before that. Or you're going to say that actually, no, I don't need to do it before any sunnah act. I don't believe that bismillah is obligatory, so I need to do it before the first obligatory act, which is washing the face. Okay, so before you actually do the washing of the face, the first one thing, the knee has to have been made. That I'm making wudu. So these are the three theoretical scenarios which will become clear next week. So, so um, again, I repeat that according to the Hanbalis, to say Bismillah at the very, very beginning, sorry, I made a mistake, there's a fourth one as well. A fourth one is those that consider the washing of the hands to be an obligation if they wake up from sleep. Okay? So those people, they consider the washing of the hands to be an obligation if you wake up from deep sleep at night time. That's a fourth scenario. That's another obligation. And that would be after the Bismillah. And that's regardless if you consider Bismillah to be an obligation or not, that would be the first obligation. Now, we discussed that, that we don't consider that to be an obligation. We consider it to be a sunnah to do that after you wake up. But if we know the reason that someone's protected, turn the tap on. You know, we had that long discussion, okay? Then we don't consider this to be the major issue. Regardless, the niya should be done in the beginning. And we have these all potential points. As long as you remember, in my, in my position... To make sure that the niya happens before you wash your face, your wudu is done. But that's really bare bones fit. Yeah, and that's breaking it right, right, right down. Like emergency scenario. But the correct way would be to have it way before you wash your hands, before you say bismillah, before you uh, wash your nose and your mouth, etc., etc. Alright? So let's do some quick uh, questions and then we close off. Yes? Just the point about the timing of the intention. Yes. No, actually it applies to all acts of worship 
if there is a serious period of time which could theoretically threaten the validity and the continuity of your intention. So especially if you get a phone call, someone speaks to you, breaks your t- attention span. Um, uh, you know, for example, in Ramadan, the, we gave the example in a Ramadan class last year, that we believe that one intention at the beginning of the month is sufficient for the month. Yes? Even though it might be argued according to some of the scholars that it's sunnah or recommended at least in some sort of obligatory to make it every night. Okay? But anyway, we say that before Ramadan, once job done, that's sufficient. Now, those same scholars also, though, insist on you making it again two nights later. If, for example, the next day you went on a safar and therefore you broke your, your, your fast and you went traveling and now even though you made the intention at the beginning for the covering of the whole month, they said that now you're in this kind of state where your intention has kind of been a bit, you know, and so you need to renew that intention for the, now you're back home. For the tomorrow you're going to start again, so you'd make the intention again. So it's not always about a small period of time. It's about anything potentially coming in that would, t- would change your state. So just for example, you know, someone, someone's in a state of Jinaba and yep. he needs to make it also. Yep. Uh, he says, you know, I'm going to be And then just like, he can't automatically, then he, he's, already, he's already said to himself, I'm going to... And if he goes straight, if he wakes up two hours later and he goes straight to the bathroom, then it's now a simple question: What is this guy doing in the bathroom? That's it. And if there was nothing else, he was not hot, not sweaty, no real reason for anything else. Then his intention is exactly as it was, and he would already, as walking into the bath, be upon that same intention. So it really is about the intention itself being alive clear and definitely achieved and obviously that's a risky scenario which is why the scholars always are talking about mastering the intention mastering the intention you mentioned before about having one intention to cover two acts yes yes well that scenario where you need to do wudu yes you're going to have a ghusl anyway yes if you do a ghusl does that automatically cover your niyah for your wudu or do you have to make two niyah mm, good question and we are going to come to that the question is is that what about the wudu does the wudu get covered by lifting the state of major impurity? And the answer is yes, it does. Lifting the state of major impurity includes lifting the state of minor impurity. Lifting the state of minor impurity does not lift the state of major impurity. So going into a shower, making the intention for wudu will not count as your ghusl for anything. Whereas walking into the shower, making the ghusl for X will cover the need uh, for wudu that you did because you just urinated, for example. You don't need a separate intention for the wudu. The ghusl encompasses that entire uh, act of the lifting of minor ritual impure, uh, impurity. Al-Hadath al-Asghar. Al-Hadath al-Asghar is ritual impurity minor. Al-Hadath al-Akbar, sexual impurity, etc. This is major ritual impurity. Making the intention to lift major ritual impurity <laughs> covers all ritual impurities minor. So with this intention, some people are struggling. Is it subconscious, conscious? Is it something that's formed in the mind? Or is it, as it's uh, mentioned, is it something that comes from the heart? But then how people are finding it hard to... So, so, so you know when we think... We're, you see, I, I, I know, I'm so used to this, because it's the most common kind of confusion. When people think of the heart, they get confused, okay? Because actually no, no one thinks anything in the heart. When you think of the heart, you think up here. But we say the heart, Right? And I don't want to get into a big discussion about that because it's deep, it is profound, all right? The connection between the heart and mind, all right? But the point is that they're the same thing. Once you're thinking of something, it's the heart speaking, basically. 
So it's the thought. And it's a conscious thought, but at the same time it's a conscious thought which is done subconsciously. It doesn't require, it doesn't need, it doesn't need to be articulated. You see, the problem with using English words is that when we say conscious, are we insisting that that means ver- articulated verbally? Well, if not, then what's subconscious? Is subconscious meaning that it's something which is there which is not articulated verbally? What's the difference between conscious and subconscious? So subconscious, I go to do the bathroom before I do to do wudu, but I didn't actually say to myself, consciously, I'm going to do wudu now. Then so if, that's your, if that's the way you define subconscious, <coughs> then subconscious will never ever be accepted as an act of worship <coughs> for a niya. If that's how you define subconscious. I thought, I'd argue, that even the subconscious needs an instigating point. The instigating point is that conscious. You're pray, that you're going to pray. Yeah, but we discussed that, remember? We said that it doesn't need to be, that, it, that the statement that you say to yourself doesn't need to be, I want to make wudu. You can also, as we said last week, say, I want to pray fajr. Remember we said that? And when you say, I want to pray Fajr, that itself necessitates that you need to state the, lift the, the state of ritual impurity. That's the whole point of last week's lesson. That you can actually make the intention for the act of worship, which in itself, you know it can't be performed without the requisite wudu. An easier example would be the Qibla. Yeah. Nobody here has ever prayed in any direction other than the Qibla. Okay. But do you make an actual thought before praying every single time that I'm going to face the Qibla for that's this what, reason. N- no, and, uh, uh, no. Surely because, that's subconscious. Correct. It's something that you automatically do. But that's, my, but, that's my, but that's my point. That's why I say, that's why my definition of subconscious, which I don't even know what my definition is, but I want to say that my definition of subconscious <coughs> is a thought which has definitely had an instigating point. So even though I'm used to it and walking in, this is getting a bit theoretical, but if you think about it, if I know that I pray as a Muslim towards Qibla and no other direction, then every single time I do that, without having to remind myself of the fiqh and the rulings and the reasons and the evidences, that's still an instigated clear thought in my mind. <coughs> I don't need to now say to myself, it is Qibla, this is what Qibla is, 260 on the compass, whatever. <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? It's an automatic thing, which... It, you know, maybe the easier way, the easier way to, to, to understand this is maybe this example. I, I don't know if this works. Your intention is only at risk if you are doing things which risk your intention. <laughs> that was too, maybe too deep. <laughs> Your intention is only at risk, which is to follow your example, meaning the subconscious is fine. And it's only not fine when something... What I don't even know what I said. <laughs> when what? When you do things which risk your intention. For example, you turn off the AC and you become super hot. All right? And now your desire and only desire and your only thought is water to cool me down. That has almost <coughs> overpowered your subconscious. <coughs> but Sheikh, is, if that's the case, then yeah. quickly the map from you. Yep. You start doing a ritual like washing hands first, use the wisdom out, and yep. put your feet in the sink. Yep. 
I'm just going to wash my face. And Correct. Like that. and, 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 that's, and that's why, which, which, which is why I said it doesn't really work very well in wudu, but it works in showers though. Remember that for a shower, okay, for a shower, uh, sorry, for a ghusl, you could jump into a river and jump out and that's it. To do the rubbing, this, that, whatever, it's all a sunnah act. We're going to come to that later. Okay, but you could jump off into the thingy, say, say to your mind, and <laughs> jump in, right? Do a bit of, I don't know, whatever you do underneath the water, jump back out, and it's job done. Now, that's why I said what I said about right at the beginning of this lesson. What did I say? I said the issue of intention is more emphasized and needs to be more thought about in those acts which have a common generic kind of reason for doing so anyway, which would be your swimming or your showering. In wudu, this is not going to happen. Okay? It's going to very rarely happen that you're going to go in and you're going to whatever. But I will say to you what, it, what, what will happen. What will happen is that your intention will come late. Because washing your hands and washing your face is the most generic thing of doing something in the morning. And it's after you've got onto the really strange part, which is the washing to the elbows, that you start to think, hello, this is wudu. Do you understand what I'm saying? <coughs> huh? And it's too late. It's too late now. And that's my, that's my point there, that you do need to... Uh, uh, I'm happy with the idea that you've got wudu, as long as you are knowing you're making wudu. But you've got to be careful, be warned that many people... I've been there, done it myself in the morning, okay? Especially if you wake up for Fajr and then go back to sleep again and then wake up, wake up again, okay? That's another danger uh, uh, being added to the scenario, okay? Normally when you wake up first thing, it's only for the Fajr prayer. It's the only reason you wake up at that time. So that, that covers wudu automatically. But when you're waking up a second time, it's, there's no prayer there to pray. And so what's happening more there is that there's no prayer to pray. You might be thinking, I thought I'm at work, I'll make wudu again. So now, any washing of hands, brushing teeth, cleaning up, is actually very much for the actual cleaning up. Do you understand? So I'm saying that, yes, I'm happy with you to not go crazy on this. Relax, keep it as part of your subconscious. But your intentions at risk only when <laughs> when you do something that risks your intention. Like common actions, like uh, going back to sleep after Fajr, like going into a shower where you're just going to have a quick shower. That's the most profound statement. I swear you should copyright my statements. <laughs> Honest to God. I was on the spot there. She's like, come on, Yara. Give some credit, man. He's not interested. He's not interested. Right. So a person's decided that he's going to do two ghusls yep. for the sunnah and the obligatory. Okay. Which one comes first? The obligatory comes first. Okay. Um... Besides, for major... I don't want to say that's an act of bid'ah, but, but, but yani, you know, we need to think about that. Yani, I'm not saying it's an act of bid'ah, but if Sheikh Ilan was here, he'd have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> he'd have a heart attack. Yep. Uh, so major... State of I mean, he'd have a heart attack because basically, i tell you why he'd have a heart attack. He would basically say that the Tahij al-Masjid, which is the Sunnah prayer, yeah. and your Dhuhr, which is the obligatory prayer, your Tahij al-Masjid... It's not allowed to be prayed when the obligatory one is being established. And you would go into the masjid and you would join the jama'ah and you would have the intention for the al masjid as well as I'm bringing the behind the imam. You'd get the reward of both. The obligatory covers the sunnah of the al masjid. This principle exists across the kind of deen. 
there might be an exception found, but if there is an exception, it's because there's an evidence for the exception. So here, the general principle would be that you would make the intention for the janaba, which is a state of lifting the ritual thingy. And it's understood that because you're doing it at this time before the Friday Adhan, whatever, that you're doing it for another reason as well. And if you made that intention subconsciously, then even better. But anyway, I, I don't want to say it's bid'ah, but if a person was to do two separate ones, that's fine. You'll make intention for each one. He would do the obligatory one first. Uh, major spiritual impurity. We said there was impurity. not spiritual. Spiritual is not maybe it's acceptable. Ritual it should ritual be. Yeah. Impurity, sorry. Uh, intercourse and finishing the menses. Is there another one? I think you mentioned. Yeah, there's there's uh, um, uh, ejaculation at night, wet dreams, for example, postpartum bleeding, uh, junoon, uh, meaning the person sleep. But, that, but that, we don't want to get into that. We have a major section on that. You mentioned uh, prolonged period of. Uh, yeah, loss being a lost consciousness that again. Mentioning that later, I don't want to. I don't want to get into that now. Um, that one's been answered. Are there any other sunnah ghusl other than for Juma? That person kidding, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turn on to watch the video, man. <laughs> Goodness me. Can it be argued that the position that a sunnah, the obligatory ghusl, must be done separately is an example of getting excessively caught up in technical legalities? Absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> And as you heard, you heard what I said about that. Yeah, I think that uh, you, when you start doing it, that you're starting to lose the plot. <coughs> yeah, we're done. Zakumullah, guys. Barakallahu. Subhanakallahu. Alhamdulillah. 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 Alh